Oh my God. Every time I hear that one phrase, I just feel tense inside. And maybe some of you guys have felt that this morning. You're beginning to think, does Rick know Jake just said that? Like, he's out of town, but he's coming back, right? So you hear that phrase and you begin to tense up. We have different things in our life, different pet peeves that just kind of get under our skin, right? So maybe uh, you're somebody that when you're around somebody who's maybe biting their fingernails, oh, it just gets you. Or that person that makes uh, those mouth noises when they're bored, you know, Oh, yeah, right? Or worst of all, there's that person that you are going about your business driving behind, and they're in front of you, and they turn without using the blinker. <sighs> See, I know these things annoy people because I do all of them. <laughs> and I have a very patient wife, so God bless her soul. But I know we have these different pet peeves and things, and for me, when somebody uses that phrase, oh, it just gets under my skin a little bit. And I'll be honest, it wasn't always that way. I'm just as guilty as the next person of saying it. There was a point in time where I would pop off and say things like that without even thinking about it. I had family members that said it, friends that said it. It's on TV, it's in music, our culture says it all the time. And so I never even thought twice about it until a friend lovingly came up and said, Jake, do you realize when you say stuff like that, you're actually belittling the name of God? that you're actually belittling the name of God, that in essence you are ignoring the magnitude of who God is. See, we're working through this series called What Matters. And you can put, a, as Rick said before, you can put a question mark or an exclamation mark on that, either one. But it's this idea of we're asking the question, what matters? And then we're going to give emphatic answers to show you that this is indeed what matters. And we're talking about the big rocks of our faith at North Point, things that we hold near and dear, things that we care a lot about. And we would say that these aren't just for North Point, but that if you're a Christ follower anywhere, you tend to care about these things a lot. These things make a difference, that they're foundational to who we are. Last week we talked about the Bible. We talked about the Bible, and I would say that the Bible may be the most important big rock that we'll talk about because it's the foundation that all the other rocks, all the other topics are going to be built on. Everything else that we talk on, we're going to come back to the Bible. What does God's word have to say about this topic? And we discussed the idea that the Bible is reliable, that even though it is a bunch of different books and a bunch of different genres and a bunch of different authors, we can trust that the Bible is indeed true. And the Bible is accurate. And not only is it reliable, but it's also relevant. That even though it's thousands of years old, what it has to say about marriage and finances and our relationships and our view of God and the rest of the world still can make a difference and still has relevancy in DeWitt, Michigan in the year 2018. So the Bible is foundational. And jumping off that today, we're going to talk about what matters with God. What matters with God? So yes, we're talking about God in church today. Big shocker, right? You guys didn't see that coming, I'm sure. Right? No big deal. Right? We talk about God all the time. But today, I want to kind of step back from what we think we know about God and just kind of take this wide view of who God is. This being that has been debated. This being that has been worshipped or feared and at even times ignored. So we're going to ask this question to start, and that is simply, who is 
God. If you have your North Point app, you can follow along with us this morning. We're going to jump into Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to hit a few different scriptures and different versions, so hang with us today, but you can always use the app to follow along. Uh, but we're going to get Romans chapter 1 to start here, and this is uh, the apostle and missionary Paul writing a letter to the church in Rome, and this is what he had to say. He said, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul starts out saying, for though they knew God, in other words, he's telling us that humanity has this sense that there is something or someone bigger than us. There's something or someone bigger than us, that we can step outside and we can view creation, and when we see trees and we see snow and we see all the things that man can create, and when we stare up at those wonderfully gloomy Michigan skies and the beautiful starry nights, that we begin to step back and think, man, there is something bigger out there, something bigger that had to put all of this together, that there's something capable of doing things that I am not. There's something capable of doing things that I'm not. I've never created a tree. I've never made it snow. I've never healed anybody or done anything like that. But yet there is something out there bigger than that. And Paul is telling us that we have this sense of something bigger than us as mankind. But yet we struggle to honor this being, this God, like he truly deserves. We struggle to honor him like he deserves. There's times where we ignore who he is. We disregard his claim to be Lord of all creation, or we try to reason him away for things that just make a little more sense to us. Sometimes a God this big is just hard to grasp, and so we, we reason it away, and we think, no, this is easier. This makes more sense. I like this better. And so we begin to reason things away. And what we've done is we've done a really bad job of understanding who God is and responding to that in the right manner. So what I want to do this morning then is I want to give us 10 attributes of who God is. Now this isn't an exhaustive list by any means. These are not the only 10 attributes that are out there. There are a ton more, but these are 10 attributes that I just want to focus on uh, this morning. And the cool thing is some of these attributes we actually share with God. There are some things that we have in common with God. We were made in the likeness of his image, so we have these things in common. But there are other things that are just uniquely to God. There are things we cannot do. There are things we cannot be. There are things that are totally incapable for us, but show the kind of God that he is. So the first one I want to talk about this morning here is we're just going to kind of pound through these a little bit, is that God is immutable. God is immutable. In other words, he has no Needs. We find this out in Acts chapter 17. And it's telling us that there is nothing that we can do that adds, oh, I'm sorry, we find this out in Psalm 102, that God is immutable, meaning that he is unchanging, or that he is trustworthy. God is unchanging or trustworthy. And what this is saying is that God has emotions, but that God's actions are not dictated by his emotions. His actions are not dictated by emotions. Now, as human beings, we, we are emotional beings, right? I work with teenagers. This is, this is true, correct? Like, we understand that? Okay. And sometimes our emotions dictate our actions. And when they do that, they usually don't turn out too well. Sometimes that can get us into trouble, and we have that tendency. But God, while he may understand emotions, while he may know frustration, while he may know anger, while he may know joy, 
Those don't dictate his actions. Instead, what shows what God does is based upon his word. God is trustworthy. He always does what he says he's going to do. And by his love. Everything that he does is out of the motivation of loving and caring for us. So first of all, God is immutable. The next is that God is independent. And this is what means that he has no need. We see it in Acts 17. And this is saying that there is nothing we can do that adds to God. But rather, he can add to us, but there's nothing we can really do that adds to the being of God. The cool part is that he has this strong desire for us, but he really doesn't have a need for us. God is completely independent by himself. God is also eternal, and that means that he is timeless, that he is without a beginning and without an end. We see this in Psalm chapter 90, that God has always been, and that no matter what happens, God will always continue to be. That just blows me away when I stop to think there's no beginning to God and there will never be an end. We also know that in his eternity, he is ever present, meaning he is everywhere all the time. We see in Jeremiah 23, that means that God is in every single good and bad moment of your life all of the time. That there is never a moment on this earth where God is not here. We are never without God. And being present in our life, God is also holy. Holy. Even that word holy seems to just have some power to it when we say it. But what it means is that God is excellent above all creation. That he is faultless, we see in Revelation 4. Best definition I heard for this is to say that God is majestic and pure. God is majestic and pure. And not only is he holy, but he's also all-powerful and that he is able to do everything according to his holy will. Everything according to his holy will. Isaiah 46 points out that there is none greater than God, that he is the greatest of all time and that his power knows no bound. There is nothing that God is not capable of doing. Not only is he all-powerful, but God is sovereign. God is sovereign. This means that he has total rule and control over all creation. Rules over every single thing that has ever been, according to Daniel chapter 4. In other words, nothing goes against God's will without him allowing it to be that way. That God rules over every single thing. Nothing can rebel against his desire. Now that is both a comforting thought and it begins to have us ask questions too. Well, if God is sovereign, then why did he allow this to happen? If he has to allow it, then why, why did this become that way? So it's comforting, but it also has questions that maybe pops up. And then we also jump into the fact that God is all-knowing. That God knows every single thing all the time, according to 1 John 3. Think for a second, there is never a time where there is a new thought to God. There is never a moment where God was surprised by what happened. But yet he knows everything there has ever been to know everywhere all the time. And that shows that God is wise. He's wise and that he knows and does what is best. And I think that brings comfort in his sovereignty. That God knows and is always doing what is best. That he has the highest of intellect and morality. 
the highest of intellect and morality. And our last attribute here, I think that kind of ties all these things together, puts a bow that combines all of this, is the idea that God is loving. That God is loving, or that he freely and eternally gives of himself to you and me. He freely and eternally gives of himself to you and me. According to 1 John 4, 8 through 10, I want to read this with us together. He says this, the Apostle John says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. It's a beautiful picture of God's love, that he is freely and eternally giving of himself to us, that God's greatest desire, he has all these attributes that make him so far beyond what we can even begin to understand or anything like we've ever seen before, and this being's greatest desire is you and me. God's greatest desire, his greatest love is you and me. So much so that he sent Jesus, who's 100% man and 100% God, down to earth to make a redemptive plan to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from those consequences and bring us back with him. And it's in knowing that, that we see that Jesus Christ is the revelation of all of the attributes of God. All of those things we listed out, we see in Jesus. All of those things we see in Jesus. Check out 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. This is from the Amplified Bible. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God clearly revealed in the face of Christ. In other words, if we want to answer the question and we want to know who God is, the best way that we can do that is to look at Jesus. The best way to understand who God is is to look at Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all the attributes of God. That Jesus shows us what it's like to be sovereign, shows us what it's like to be wise, to be all-powerful, and he shows us what love truly is supposed to look like. So if we step back and we see a being that has all of these attributes, all of these amazing things about him, and that's God, then the question we ask next is, how do we respond to a being like this? How do we respond to God when we see this? I want to give you three things this morning. Three things. The first one is worship. Worship. Only a being like this is worthy of our worship. And only this being is worthy of our worship. Did you catch that? Only a being like this that has these attributes, only a being that can do all of these things is ever going to be worthy of our worship. And only this being, only this God, there is only one who is worthy of our worship. That when we encounter a God like this, the first thing we should do is worship. 
We should be moved to a place where we worship a God like this. And then after we've worshiped him, we move into this place of ownership. Ownership. See, a God that does all of these things, that is all-powerful, knows all things, is everywhere, and yet his greatest desire is you and me. Is you and me. So much so that he sends Jesus for us. That we have the choice to claim this God as our God and our Savior through his son, Jesus. So when we see, when we come encountered with this God, when we step back and realize who he is, we worship him. And then we claim ownership that this is my God. We claim him. And then we get moved to this place of reverence. We have worship, we have ownership and reverence. I love the fact that um, back in Jesus' day and before, whenever a Jewish person would read the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, this was their Bible at the time. When they would read through this, they would come across the name of God. They would be in in, uh, uh, synagogues or temples and they would be reading just like we are in church services today and they would come out and they would get to the name of God as they're reading out loud. And instead of saying the name of God, Because they had such reverence for the name of God that they didn't see themselves worthy enough to utter it. They would instead put other phrases in place. They would say, the Lord, the Holy One, blessed be He, or simply, the name. That we should hold God's name with the highest of reverence. Because it is the only thing to be regarded as the highest. So how do we respond? How do we respond when we come encountered with a God like this? Our response should be coming out and should be saying, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Worship, ownership, reference. So the question we move to then is what do we need to do in our lives to move towards a place that we can rightfully cry out with our hands lifted high in worship, in ownership, and in reverence, and saying, oh, my God. Let's pray. God, you are far far beyond our worship, far beyond our comprehension, Lord. God, may we be moved, Lord, when you show up, when you come into our lives, first to this place of worship, of acknowledging that you are Lord of all, that there is none like you. May we fall upon our knees and our face, just lifting all of who we are to you, Lord. And God, may we then claim ownership over you. Not because we have the right to, but because you first loved us. And God, may we have reverence for who you are. May we not ever take lightly your name, your power, your authority, or your love for us, God. May we never take that for granted, Father, but may we be so in awe of you that we cannot help but exalt you, Father. 
And may this worship, this ownership, and this reverence, Father, move us to a place that we have to shout your name out to anybody who will listen and cry out and sing, oh my God. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.